Some bonds last a lifetime. Some bonds inspire confidence. And some you grow to rely on. These are the bonds worth investing in. For nearly 50 years, PIMCO has reinvented fixed income to create opportunities for investors in every market environment. So no matter what happens, you can build the bonds that mean the most to you. PIMCO, a global leader in active fixed income. Learn more at PIMCO.com bonds. All investments contain risk and may lose value. Consult your investment professional before investing. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job, not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Thor? Is it a thaw with the Chinese? The thaw theory ignited this market today. Dow surging 332 points. S&P getting 1.28%. And the NASDAQ pole vaulting 1.71%. House of pleasure. As the PRC allowed Qualcomm, an American company, San Diego company, to create a joint venture with the Chinese telecommunication firm, signaling that perhaps... China wanted to put an end to the tit-for-tat trade war that's driven stocks so low and made investors so nervous about the possibility of a worldwide economic slowdown. That's what's at stake. That bit of good news, that joint venture, coupled with an employment report that showed strong growth and little inflation, Nirvana, brought in buyers from the sidelines after one more shakeout at the opening. It's quite the impressive rally, and it could continue if the U.S. government goes a tad softer, recognizing that the Chinese are willing to do just some deals here. Believe me. The approval of this Qualcomm joint venture was not an idle decision. Nothing's idle in a communist dictatorship. Now, before the approval, we really only had one big stock doing well, and that was the stock of Apple, because of word that Warren Buffett had bought in another 75 million shares in the world's largest company. And boy, was it ever in the black. It finished up almost 4% and cracked a $900 billion barrier, putting some real distance between it, Microsoft, Amazon, and Alphabet in the race to be the first trillion-dollar stock. But after China greenlighted the Qualcomm deal, tech just exploded. Why not? The industry had been consolidating like mad until the Chinese all but killed Qualcomm's attempt to buy NXP Semiconductor. Now it might be game one for this one-time leadership group that we need so much, the bulls need so much. You can't have a real run without the semis. Now, if the Chinese reconsider the antitrust concerns about Qualcomm NXPI and there are some bullish semiconductor sentiment, well, I got to tell you, you'll never get that kind of pin action from any other group. Can it continue? Well, you know what we have to do to find out. We have to go to the game plan. On Monday, oh, man, start with a little controversy. Tyson Food supports, and boy, are people divided about this one. There are shorts who are in my face telling me that Tyson stock is about to keel over because of raw costs and a general aversion to the food stocks. Something, by the way, that I think changed pretty radically after Kraft Heinz delivered a good number yesterday. And, by the way, stock was up almost more than every stock in the S&P 500. Now, there are longs, though, who remind me that millennials love protein. And Tyson's the premier beef and chicken company. It's been a terrible stock of late. Maybe it can write itself. So far, the 
bears are winning. What I really care about on Monday, though, is the big analyst meeting from ServiceNow, one of our self-anointed cloud kings. The service management beast of a company is phenomenal growth, and it's led by one of our favorite CEOs, John Donahoe, the late of eBay. Look for some, again, pin action in the cloud group, like what we saw today with the semiconductors. You can have everything from Amazon because of its web services up to Workday, Salesforce, VMware, and Adobe. I expect ServiceNow to tell a terrific story, and that should drive the whole group higher. Next up, Tuesday, after the close, Disney. I think the bears who persist in thinking that ESPN's declining subscribers will be the real story here are beginning to miss the point. Disney is a hit machine that's launching a new ESPN online subscription service while it attempts to buy some key uh, uh, Fox properties that will produce even more hits. Just as investors failed to recognize that Apple had a growing service revenue business until it practically hit them in the face. I believe they constantly underestimate Bob Iger's movie revenue stream. I think movies may finally be the focus on Disney's conference call after the obligatory ESPN keeps losing customers question. Thank heavens Iger has more patience than Tesla's Elon Musk. There are two other companies reporting Tuesday, and i got to tell you, people truly don't know what's up, and there's a lot of gambling on both sides, and I'm calling it gambling. Electronic Arts and Monster Beverage. These were at one time the premier growers in their respective categories, but they've become a lot trickier stories to the point where I expect the results to be very binary. They're either going to be big hits or big misses. The last time Monster reported, I didn't like what I saw at all, and the stock got clobbered. Given the excellent record of management here, though, I think it's highly unlikely they'll miss again. Electronic Arts, the video game maker, is more of a quandary. Yesterday, their largest competitor, Activision Blizzard, delivered what looked like a disappointing number, and the stock was shelled, uh, abetted by the fact that the results came out midday by mistake when they were supposed to come out after the bell. The perception going in was that new game makers are moving into the space aggressively, and it would, it would spell a slowdown for Activision and its uh, enormous Call of Duty franchise. But in reality, the competition hurt much less than expected. The business is actually stronger than ever, which is why the stock came back with a vengeance after going down. And it finished up more than 4%. Holy cow, I suspect EA will have a similar trajectory, as there's even less overlap between new titles and EA's strong sports franchises, one of the reasons why the stock was up so much today. Everyone's suddenly worried about a huge slowdown in the beer category, because Molson Coors reported maybe the worst quarter of the week. With... I'm not kidding. It was a nightmare. Will the same thing befell Anheuser-Busch in Bedwater Reports Wednesday? I bet it will be better. And we'll be more worried about the price of aluminum cans than the price of the suds inside. All right. We also hear from 20, uh, 21st Century Fox after the close. And we'll be listening to find out how they think about the, where things are with the Disney takeover. We also want to know their feelings about Comcast's attempt to buy some key assets that Disney wants. Comcast could use a lift, a big we're not going to take it about Comcast's offer might boost the stock of the cable company that owns this network. The auto industry's been down in the dumps forever, it seems now, and yet there's one part supplier that's been doing fabulously, and that's Magna, which is amazingly just about a dollar off its 52-week high. I expect an incredibly strong number here that will perhaps breathe new life into the worst acting group in the entire market. And that's saying something. At the close, we get numbers from one of the most controversial companies out there, NVIDIA. For the record, let me say that I don't think this stock, this stock should be controversial at all. 
NVIDIA makes the best graphics chips that are used for everything from data centers to artificial intelligence to gaming to machine learning and autonomous driving. I know most of the semiconductor companies, and not one of the executives disputes the wondrous work that CEO Jensen Wong does. He's the acknowledged leader in the fastest-growing end markets, dominating all but the cell phone segment. So then what's controversial? Simple. For the last few quarters, NVIDIA's bottom line has been boosted by cryptocurrency mining. See, there's been a furious, almost gold-like rush to mine cryptocurrencies using NVIDIA cards to do the digital digging for some currencies. But that business, which many people always regard as a fad, has cooled dramatically. And even though Jensen Wong told us here when we spoke with him in a recent interview that cryptocurrency and blockchain are here to stay, we know that that line of business is going to plummet. The bears are out there in full force. They want to feast on the carcass of this fabulous company's stock. They are betting that the decline in crypto mining is going to cause number cuts and downgrades galore when NVIDIA reports because it's such a high-flying stock. Now, we own this stock from my Chapel Trust, and let me tell you something. If it gets slugged, on, uh, slugged by these cryptocurrency concerns, we're simply looking to use that weakness to do some serious buying. Crypto mining is a sideshow. It's just not the real Jensen Wong story. Finally on Friday, James Bullard, the president of the St. Louis Fed, speaks, and I think he may be the least ideological, most commonsensical member of the Federal Reserve. We need to hear the following. He favors two tightenings, but if the economy gets stronger, certainly stronger than today's labor number, He's up for three hikes. If he says that, maybe we could have another good Friday, provided, of course, that China isn't taking back what caused the whole rally today. That olive branch of a deal between a Chinese company and its American counterpart. The bottom line, today showed what can happen if something, even something teeny tiny small goes right. And looking at what's coming up next week, it's just possible the strength can continue. Let's go to Diane and... In my home state, New Jersey, Diane. Hi, thanks for taking my call. I enjoy your show. Thank you. My question is about Q-Rate Retail, Inc., formerly Liberty Interactive. I own it, started out as HSN. Um, They merged with QVC um, back at the beginning of the year. And I'm wondering, I've heard they're number three behind... Um, Amazon and Walmart in online sales, and I know they're all facing the trade and tariff concerns, but I'm just wondering if you think as a multifaceted retailer that they um, are still in the game. I really like this stock, and I am surprised to see how far down it is, Diane. This is run by Greg Maffei, whom I regard as one of the great, ex- excellent, great CEOs of our era. And I want to buy the stock. As a matter of fact, I want to profile it. I had no idea it fall in that much. It's a really good situation. Let's go to Judy in South Carolina, please. Judy. Booyah, Mr. Kramer. Booyah, Judy. Thank you so much for shedding some light on this uh, up and down market that we have right no now. No problem. My question is about KBR. With all the activity it's been having in the last several days and the month and the big contract that's looking at this fall, what is your take on it? Is it a buy, sell? Oh, man. Uh, you know, I can never recommend a stock on a takeover basis. But, boy, does this industry ever need to consolidate. That floor quarter was from hunger this morning. I cannot endorse this company. I am very sorry, Judy. I would love to say good things. I hate the segment. I don't like the stock. Kathy in Florida. Kathy. Kathy? Yeah. You're up. Go ahead. It's Jim. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. My question is about uh, the mar- multi-level marketing company, USANA. 
the company is riddled with uh, risk and controversy. It has numerous pending lawsuits, internal investigations in China, and even FTC scrutiny. Yet it goes up every day. Uh, year over year, it missed earnings three quarters in a row, um, as much as 17 cents one quarter, and significantly lowered full-year guidance. Uh, the, the stock didn't fall. In right. fact, it advanced 77% after beating the already lowered guidance. Well, uh, uh, you know, look, this is an industry that's heavily shorted. Um, I'm going to have to do some work on individual and use sign. I can just tell you that it's it's a tag along stock right now to Herbalife. Uh, and we know from our buddy pal friend Scott Wapner, who won the Herbalife bit, debate, which is Herbalife itself, frankly. So we're going to do some work on USANA. We're not going to cuff it. All right. Now, this is what it looks like when there's peace between China and America. Isn't it something? I mean, it just took a little bit of a, a Qualcomm deal and this market just soared. I hope it lasts. But then again, there are other agendas out there. Man Money Tonight, the biggest police body camera company is buying its main competitor. So I'm going to sit down with the CEO of Axon. Yeah, the old taser. See what it means for the industry. Then, when it comes to Yum and Yum China, which company has the upper crust? I'm eyeing the Pizza Hut, KFC, and Taco Bell operators. See which play could offer a bigger piece of the pie. And Fire Eye started 2018 on fire. But the stock's still declining after earnings. What's the next thing to do with this stock? I got an idea. Why don't we sit down with the CEO? Stick with Craig. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Now, this is exciting. Nearly two months ago, I told you about the rapid transformation of Axon Enterprises. That's simple as AAXN. The artist formerly known as Taser International, and how much I liked it. Here's a company that used to be all about non-lethal weapons, the eponymous Taser. But lately, it's become much more of an evidence capture play for law enforcement, selling audio recorders, body cameras, and the software necessary to make use of all the digital evidence. This shift has made the stock a phenomenal performer. And today, we've got yet another positive development. This morning, Axon announced that it's acquiring Vview. It's V-I-E-V-U, a privately held camera and evidence management software business, which has a contracts with the NYPD, Miami-Dade Police Department, Phoenix Police Department. Basically, they're taking out a key competitor which is why the stock shot up more than $3 or 7.5% today. So let's take a closer look with Rick Smith. He's the co-founder and CEO of Axon Enterprise. To learn more about this deal and what it means for the business and, of course, how the business is doing. Mr. Smith, welcome back to Mad Money. Good hey, to see hey, you, sir. It is great to be here. All right. Now, first tell me, because you know, we hear all these deals. They get blocked by the government. Is there any trust here? Because you know that everyone likes to have multiple bidders on every single city contract. And so I just have to ask that before I even get going. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it, is, it is not an issue. We've uh, clearly looked at it. In fact, we're still the smallest competitor in the space, or at least maybe number four. If you look at the scale of the organization, I mean, we're up against little companies like Motorola and Panasonic and L3. Uh, so there's still a lot of competition. But the fact is, we've been winning the vast majority of the deals. 
uh, because, you know, our system performs really right. well. I was going to say, yeah. give me the selling proposition, because what I would say if I were sitting there, I'd say, look, I never heard of these guys. I mean, the other guys are big, and I know they're going to be there. How do I know these guys are going to be there? Well, you may remember, I think it was a year ago here that we announced this idea that we were going to do free body camera trials yes. for everybody. And I'm, I have to tell you, there are a lot of people who are skeptical, saying, well, that's their, that, there they go. They've given away the best thing that they make all the money on. Yeah, well, the, the reason we did it was we have invested a lot of time, effort, and money into making a system that really works well. And frankly, in government, that you're not normally incented to do that. You spend most of your time trying to figure out lobbyists and how to get through the procurement process and all the bureaucracy. And we just said, hey, come play on our field. Let's all put this technology in the hands of the user, and we'll see who wins. And since we've done that, we haven't seen a large deal go away from us without going through a field trial. And once they do that... We win almost every time. Okay, so when you brought it up on our show, there would have been one inbound call. Tell me about all the inbound calls and tell me about the conversions. Well, we don't have specific conversions because okay. it's a little tricky to track. You know, most of these agencies were already talking with right. them. Right, and then, that's a good point. But, and most of them, what it actually did is it just pushed them to do a field trial. Right. So in most cases, we ended up competing for the business. And then, to my awareness, I'd have to check to make sure I'm uh, 100%, but I think we won every major deal that went into that pipeline. That's incredible. Do you think it's the Taser device, or is it really the software ecosystem? When it comes to cameras, it's really the software ecosystem. Right. Uh, you know, we have built out, we're running the geekiest office in Seattle. Right. You know, we, we're up there playing with the big guys. We're bringing in talent. Our head of AI came from Uber. Our head of software engineering came from Microsoft and from Amazon. So we're bringing a lot of talent, and that's building a great system. Okay, these guys, Rick, can you uh, go over to Europe with them? What's that? International. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, the London Met, Greater uh, Manchester, West Midlands, the largest agencies in the U.K., and now we're just starting to get some field trials going in continental Europe. So we see this is a phenomenon that we believe is going to go global. I mean, police sitting and typing up reports all day, it doesn't make sense when you can record this stuff and actually know what happened rather than trying to figure out 10 different reports and, you know, depositions to figure out what happened. Any study on whether the... Uh uh, fatalities have been cut back in cities just in terms of the record once they take taser oh for sure we've seen dramatic decreases i'll tell you cincinnati i'm going back a few years you may remember the race riots in cincinnati after a lot of interracial police sure. shootings and they went for years without a single police shooting once they put taser weapons on the street so we see something around a 50 percent cut is about what we'd expect 50%. in police shootings yeah about half and, and I body, mean, it's still going to happen but right body cameras encourage or discourage uh bad behavior well, well, you know, much like I'm probably not going to do anything too bad in front of a million people here on camera, uh, you know, you put a camera on and police behave more professionally and the people that they deal with also behave better. So a study out of Cambridge found a 93% drop in complaints against police once they start wearing cameras. And how about lawsuits against cities? Uh, it's a little early to have hard data because lawsuits okay. take quite a while to work through the legal system. But if complaints are down 93 percent, we think you're going to see a pretty maybe not quite that dramatic, but a similar drop in litigation. OK, um, is New York City uh, there was it seemed like there were some in the paper, some bad blood at one point between you and the, yeah. uh, is that going away now that you bought the company that uh, they use? Yeah, we were we were competing hard for New York. Right. You know, it's the biggest agency in America. It's very right. influential. And. We're delighted to have them as a customer now. And they're presumably they don't they're indifferent. I mean, it's the it's the system they're using that you bought. Well, uh, my belief is they're pretty happy because they ran a very competitive process. Right. They ended up going with the low price bidder, but they're going to get our technology anyway. So it's like they couldn't have done this better, in my opinion. Last question. Uh, when we saw you, you had agreed to take a pay package based on the stock. Uh, 
How you feel about it now? Oh, uh, I'm feeling pretty good. I think that's a pretty good bet. And but I got I got nine and a half years left to uh, to make it there, but <laughs> well, pretty excited. Well, you've you've uh, you've met and beaten everything you've ever told us you would do. So congratulations. Thanks. To you. We're gonna you keep really doing did it. A fantastic job. Right. That's Rick Smith, co-founder and CEO of Axon Enterprises. What a stock! A lot of things going right. Man, money's back after the break. want to understand the way this market behaves in 2018, consider the difference between Yum Brands, the parent of KFC, Taco Bell, and Pizza Hut, and Yum China, the Chinese business with the same brands that was spun off at the end of 2016. Last summer, I told you that I preferred Yum to Yum China. And sure enough, in the 10 months since then, Yum has given you a 12% gain, beating the SP 500 over the same period, while Yum China is up only 2%. But most of that difference comes from the past four months. Going into 2018, it looked like Yum China would be the winner. In fact, the whole point of spinning off the Chinese business in the first place was that it had much faster growth than the rest of the company. So management wanted it to get an independent valuation. So far this year, though, Yum China has been kind of a dog. In part because investors worry that as an American company operating in the People's Republic, it's kind of got a target painted on its back as long as our trade dispute with the Chinese continues. I think it's going to be a long time. The original Yum, on the other hand, has been a much better performer. But then this week, both stocks pulled back pretty hard after they reported their quarterly results. And while they both have bounced nicely from their lows, they're still below where they were before the earnings. I think it's very important because a volatile market like this one often crushes stocks that don't really deserve to be punished. We've seen this time and again. Look at all the comebacks just today. The problem is being able to identify the deserving losers from the undeserving ones. And Yum versus Yum China is a great example for us to teach with. Yum was not justified. And I bet it can bounce back from these levels with a vengeance. Whereas I think the weakness in Yum China made sense. And you might want to use the kind of market-wide strength like we had today to unload this one if you haven't already sold it. Let me explain. The last time I highlighted these two stocks roughly 10 months ago, I told you that Yum China was having some serious problems. This was supposed to be a growth vehicle. But its brands seem to be kind of running out of steam with the company delivering low to mid single digit same store sales growth. You ended up with a situation where the old parent company, Yum Brands, actually had better growth with less risk, even as both stocks were trading at roughly the same valuation. Maybe we can see the chart just wanted to show you this. And that's why I told you to stick with Yum Brands and forget about Yum China, at least for the moment. See, this is what I was most concerned about. I thought that we could get some pretty smooth sailing here, and I was worried about this, and that was justified. While I don't like to toot my my own horn, I mean, you guys know me as Mr. Humility, right? I'm the most humble person you've ever seen, short of maybe like Mother Teresa. I was very right about this. Just look at how Yum Brands has done versus Yum China. I think it's worth comparing these two companies based on their stated objectives and what they actually achieved. I think that that's more important than anything. I don't want to be unfair. Let's judge them by their own standards, right, rather than something subjective like I just think that the blue is better than the yellow. What were Yum's goals at the time of the spinoff? They wanted to hit a long-term growth of this Yum China. Hit long-term growth of 15% annually. They talked about tripling the store count over time with the goal of 5 to 6% new store count each year in China on top of the 4 to 5% same-store sales growth and 300 to 500 basis points of restaurant-level margin expansion. 
But Yum China's earnings per share didn't even come close to that. Forget growing at a 15% clip. Even if you exclude one-time items, they only increased by 11%. New stores. They increased the store count by 5.6%. Checkbox success. How about same-store sales? Up 4%, low end of the range. Tough to call that a success, but it wasn't really a failure either. However, Yum China's restaurant margin improved by just 150 basis points. And that's why the earnings only grew at 11% clip when we were hoping for 15. In short, it didn't really live up to its full potential. And that is why it's been doing that, okay? It's the actual expectations versus versus what the company was doing. All right, forget Yum China, put that aside. Now let's talk about the parent Yum Brands, or as I think of it, Yum everywhere else. At the time of the separation, Yum said it was targeting an ongoing shareholder return of roughly 15 to 15%, with 13% earnings growth and a 2% dividend yield. But last year, they grew earnings at a 20% clip, much better than we anticipated. They want to re-franchise many of the stores with the goal of having 98% of the, of, of the stores in the hands of the franchisees. Well, they re-franchised 1,470 locations for $1.8 billion by the end of the year. Yum was 97% franchised. So they're well on their way, and they'll probably hit 98% by the end of this year. Another success. Yum wanted KFC to grow operating earnings at a 10% clip, Pizza Hut at 8%, and Taco Bell at 6%. Well, KFC beat up 13%. Pizza Hut, something is very wrong here, I have to admit. It disappointed badly, down 7%. They've got to turn that around. Taco Bell came in light, too, up 4%. So it's not like Yum Brands was perfect. I mean, you know, if it were perfect, it would be like this. Um, but big, big picture things were working, but the specific brands had some real issues, too. The thing is, I think they did better than Yum China because at the end of the day, the earnings are what matters. And Yum left their Chinese counterpart in the dust on the earnings front. It wasn't supposed to happen that, like, still. As recently as this January, Yum China was the better performer. The big divergence came when the market broke down earlier this year. Yum China reported right in the middle of that meltdown, and the stock has never recovered. Whereas Yum Brands, Yum Everywhere Else, has rebounded nicely from its February lows. The reason for this divergence? Yum China's results showed continued weakness at Pizza Hut. And their management turned cautious on Chinese New Year sales while saying some grim things about margins. And of course, it's only gotten more difficult to own Yum China since the trade dispute with the Chinese started to explode. Yum Brands, on the other hand, has been pretty quiet. It just keeps on ticking. Which brings me to the two earnings reports from this past week. Both companies reported on Wednesday. Yum China saw its stock tumble 13% in response. Yum Brands lost 7%. What went wrong? Both companies trounced the actual headline estimates, with Yum Brands in particular reporting a monster 22-cent earnings beat off a 68-cent basis. Both companies maintained their full-year guidance, although Yum Brands was more forceful about it. I like the call. The problem at both, Yum, at both Yums, same-store sales. Yum Brands saw its system-wide same-store sales grow by just 1%. Wall Street was looking for 1.9%. Yum China had a big problem with Pizza Hut, which saw a 5% shrinkage. So where do I come down here? Look, I think it is very clear that Yum Brands can blow away its earnings targets, even if their same-store sales growth is a little sluggish. After all, that's what they just did. With Yum China, it's not so clear. And the setbacks of Pizza Hut, boy, is this a trouble brand wherever it is, huh? Setbacks of Pizza Hut have started to get kind of disturbing. If Pizza Hut isn't actually in turnaround mode, well, I got to tell you, this is a much weaker story. It's no wonder the stock got clobbered. Yum Brands, on the other hand, is looking like it's in much better shape. I think it should have never been down so be in the first place really that much, which is why it bounced yesterday off a nice upgrade from Baird. Although Yum China bounced today at more than 3%, mostly, I think, because the trade talks with the Chinese haven't blown up yet. And remember, it's really difficult for, to look at Pizza Hut when you think about how great Domino's is, right? 
That's one of the problems. Bottom line, though, ever since the breakup of Yum Brands, I've been telling you to stick with that Heritage Yum and avoid Yum China. And after both stocks sold off hard this week in the wake of their most recent earnings, I am standing by that judgment. I think the extreme sell-off in Yum China was justified, and the milder pullback in Yum Brands was not. Forget Yum China. You want Yum everywhere else. Let's go to Terry in North Carolina. Terry! Hey, Jim. Thank you for taking my call. My pleasure. On May, on May 1st, Pentair split into Pentair Water and Invent Electrical. I would appreciate hearing your opinion of both companies. Thank you. I like the water better. I remember talking with management when they were splitting it up. And I think the electricals, I got so many companies that are in that business. I really think that you sell that and you keep the electro, you keep the water um, I wanted the pure play water, which is when they did it. I was so excited about it. I had them at a corporate governor's conference. I said, wow, this is a good thing. That's how I feel about them. Let's go to Michael in Florida. Michael. Jim, my question is about Bloomin' Brands. I bought the stock a couple years ago at 24. It's done absolutely nothing. In January, Jana Partners came in and bought 8 million shares. The stock went from 18 to 24. Jana sold 2 million shares and still has 6. Could you tell me buy, hold, or are they trying to sell the company? You know what? It's not clear. I mean, Jan is kind of all over the place. Here's what I'll tell you. I think that the restaurant business is domestic and has good inputs right now, and I think you can ride this for the next three to six months. But, however, I will make it very clear that Dart is the best in show. It will always be the best in show when it comes to that level of food. That's why my travel trust owns. That's why I tell club members to own Darden. And McDonald's is great when it comes to quick serve. All right, breakups aren't always equal. I want you to forget Yum China. You want Yum everywhere else. Much more mad money, including my exclusive with Fire. I know you like that one. Company's headlines results were rock solid. But Wall Street was tepid. What does it mean for the stock going forward? Then the Oracle of Omaha's open court at Berkshire Hathaway shareholder meeting this weekend. I'll tell you what to listen for and handicap the stocks. All your calls also rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. And a look back at the week that was. So stick with Kramer. So far this year, the cybersecurity stocks have been holding up much better than the rest of the market. But then on Wednesday, we got results from FireEye, which both protects its clients against cyber threats and also has by far the best forensic division in the business. You call them in after you get hit to figure out what happened. And Wall Street was not exactly thrilled, candidly, with these numbers. While the actual headline results were perfectly solid, FireEye's guidance for the next quarter seemed a bit light. And even though they raised their full-year forecast, it seems they didn't raise it enough for some people. So the stock got clobbered yesterday, losing nearly 10% of its value. Has FireEye been punished too much? There's a lot to like here, but don't take it from me. Let's check in with Kevin Mandia, the CEO of FireEye, find out more about the quarter and where his company's headed. Mr. Mandia, welcome back to Man Money. Hey, Jim, how are you? I am good, Kevin. I've got to tell you, I think your quarter was misunderstood because it was a little difficult for me to get, Mm -hmm. but I think the key metric is billings, and I thought that you shot the lights out with billings, and that's what I should focus on. Well, you know, I told you last time we spoke, it's my job to do what we said we were going to do. And that's exactly what we did. You know, we gave a forecast. We exceeded the forecast and three of the four metrics were in range for earnings per share. So I felt, you know, we did what we were supposed to do. Uh, We forecasted in the future right in line with expectations. But this is my 15th first quarter at FireEye. You know, I've been here since (laughs) 2004. 
And maybe some people are jumping in for a 90-day ride, but I'm here for, for the long term. And uh, bottom line, I judge myself on did we do what we said we'd do? And, yeah, we did. You know, I, I, I totally agree with you. I think that the problem was the stock had been the best in the group and people wanted mm -hmm. to take profits. Just my view. Now, let's mm -hmm. see, though. Large deals flat. Uh, customer ads, 230 versus 237. Right. Shouldn't have you added more customers just in terms of uh, just because you're a little bigger, you got new products? I was mm -hmm. surprised at that. Yeah, we want to add new customers. When you look at the genesis of FireEye, the first founder, Ashar, found a way to do signature-less based detection. But we were always a layer two, Jim. There was a firewall, and we detected what firewalls missed. In email security, there was an email gateway, and we detect what email gateways miss. When you think about being a layer two, you're an enterprise buy. But what we've kind of gotten walled off from is that down market selling motion. We want to open that up. And that's why we did new pricing and some new products. But it's still early stage for us, but certainly want to see that new customer count grow. Okay, good. I'm glad you're saying that. You uh, say mm -hmm. at one point, there are simply too many vendors with too little different differentiation right. to be sustainable. Uh, you have a lot of right. different uh, products. I'm sure some of them are, you know, are me too. Do mm -hmm. you save them? Yeah, I think you do. When you look at security, I've been saying it for about a decade now. You can't just be good at network security or just good at endpoint or just good at asset discovery. You've got to be good at email security endpoint security and network security. You want to bring it all together because all three components are part of your remediation as well. You know, I keep saying we're a layer two. We're detecting millions of attacks a week. And when we detect them, I mean, that's a problem. We're the, we're the second goalie in the net. So attacks are still real. We've got to bring Network, email, and endpoint together. Just going solo with one of those is not a layered defense. Got it. Now, can, last time we saw each other, mm -hmm. we talked about Bitcoin, how easy it was to hack right. that. There has been mm -hmm. a dramatic decline both in volume and price of Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. Do you think that people mm -hmm. are getting the word about what you're saying, that perhaps this is not the holy grail of currencies? Well, you know, I, I'm not a current, you know, I don't study currencies, and that's your job, like I said last time. But from a cybersecurity standpoint, an anonymous currency has not been a great thing. And what I mean by that is it just opens up another avenue to monetize computer intrusions, theft of IP, and theft of communication. So we deal with Bitcoin from that angle, and it's just been a problem for us. Now, uh, when you say it's a problem, is, it, is Bitcoin mm -hmm. different from the others? Or are we just saying it's cryptocurrency? Because no, there's various people tell me one's better than the other. Yeah. It is cryptocurrency. Yeah, it, it's the cryptocurrencies because... If done right by the you know, folks with malintent, they're anonymous currencies. And that's a very valuable thing. If you can commit a crime from 10,000 miles away, there's not a lot of risk or repercussions to it. And if you can steal somebody's email and extort that person in an anonymous currency, that's a challenge for us. So we're making it easier to make money off computer intrusions. All right. Now, I want to be sure, just go back to the to how business mm -hmm. is going. Uh, cloud subscription billing, uh, I, I somehow feel you're not getting enough credit for that. Is that because uh, it, it's just too new? People don't understand that that's the future. And won't that be a, a major, a much larger portion of the company when we speak next year? Yeah, I think so. You know, we have to be where our customers go. So we present the menu and you can buy our stuff on-prem, off-prem. We don't care. We got to secure your data wherever it is. We got to secure your assets wherever they may be. 
And so it'll grow based on customer needs. And what we're seeing, especially on endpoint, we have a cloud form factor for endpoint. Over 80% of our endpoint security transactions a quarter ago were all cloud. And we had only had the cloud endpoint for a couple quarters. So I'm going to expect that to go faster than on-prem, but we'll see. You know, the, the customer has choice. All right, one last question. Uh, at various mm-hmm. times, we have seen North Korea be a bad actor, China be a bad actor. Right. Well, we're trying very hard to make it so North Korea is not such an uh, right. isolated place. And obviously, we're in talks with China. Mm-hmm. Any cessation of attacks from those two? You know, we'll keep our eye on it. We at FIRE, I believe, attribution absolutely matters. Sovereign nations need to hold other sovereign nations accountable for the behaviors in cyberspace, especially turns times of peace. Uh, so, yeah, I'll let you know if we see anything different. Right now, in such a short time frame, it's really hard to tell if any behaviors changed. All right, let's hope, let's hope they do. Let's hope you catch them. That's, Ke- that's mm-hmm. Kevin Mandy, CEO of FireEye. Kevin, look, the stock just was too hot. I think it's going to come right back. Yeah. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you very much. This is a much better company than it was two, three, four years ago. And I think they get those large accounts, and you're going to see a big trajectory through 20. They have money's back yet to the break. It is time! It's over the light! And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Skid down and over the lightning round. We're going to start with Doug in California. Doug! Oh, yeah, Jim. My yeah. stock has had tremendous earnings the past two quarters, but each time it couldn't hold the gains. First, eBay brought it down, then on Wednesday, Amazon. Should I be worried about my stock? You know what? No, I'm so glad you asked this, Doug. I'm going to sit down with Dan Schulman tomorrow as part of a street.com boot camp in Manhattan. I'm going to ask him all those same questions because I, too, am worried my travel trust owns PayPal. I think this could be an opportunity, but let me speak with him at the conference. Peter in New York. Peter! Mr. Kramer, my stock is Wyndham Incorporated. Should I hold it or sell it? Oh, no, no. I mean, if anything, look, Steve Holmes is still there. I know. I know they're splitting the company up. I would not hold, not sell. I would buy. Stock's down. I think it's terrific. And by the way, Holmes, when he's done, he may be Hall of Fame material. Just point it out. Barry, North Carolina. Barry. Jim, a big Smoky Mountain booyah to you from beautiful western North Carolina. It is beautiful there. And it's also Elizabeth, and don't forget that what's up. Hey, a couple weeks ago, you talked about uh, uh, the FANG stocks, and you referred to a horse race to the uh, very high market cap. That reminded me of a stock that I researched four years ago, but I never pulled the trigger. Jim, tomorrow's the running of the Kentucky Derby. What do you think about Churchill Downs? It's been a huge winner for a very long time, and I don't see that going away. But it did have a dip. Let's wait for another before you pull the trigger. Michael in Indiana. Michael. Hey, Jim, my question is Devin Energy. Devin Energy shot the lights out. They put up fantastic numbers. They've got growth. Good for them. They're back. They're bigger than ever. Devin is a buy. I'm not done. I'm going to Bill in New York. Bill. Cuba. Thanks for all you do. The hardest working man in show business. Oh, man. James Brown, look out. Of course, the late James Brown. What's up? Discovery Communications. Oh, man, I love this combination with scripts. I can't believe it's still hanging around the low 20s. That's really obnoxious. Let's go to Chris in Minnesota. Chris. Hey, Jim. Thanks for sharing all your knowledge with us over the years. Wish I had more knowledge, but thank you for saying I'm sharing it. 
I'm wondering, uh, buy, hold, or sell on Cypress Semiconductor. Cypress Semi is cheap, and now that we got the Chinese making a deal with Qualcomm, maybe there's a little M&A action in there, too. And that, ladies and gentlemen, includes the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? Come on! Jim, great to be on your show. I love it. Booyah! Because of your advice, your show, your books, your looks, I've more than doubled my retirement account. I think I'll take the looks. Is it so crazy? It just might. Listening to a Musk conference call is a little like listening to an old-fashioned record album. There are some hit songs intermixed with some losers you just have to slog through. I invite Tony Romo on the show to see how quickly he can get through that airport thing. I can never get through like that. I get wanded. I have stuff in my pockets. I have like a lifesaver in there, and they send me back. He goes right through. What is that about? Jacob's drawn to one more stock here, and I'm almost afraid to show you. I mean, maybe I can't because it's a little dangerous to show. I don't know. Uh, 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 all right. Go ahead. Block it. Yes. It's General Electric. It's Uncle Warren's big weekend when the faithful flock goes to Omaha to meet the greatest investor of our era. There'll be food, there'll be music, furniture, all the other trappings of a Berkshire Hathaway festival. And most important for us, there'll be talk of stocks galore, especially Buffett's portfolio, where you can bet he'll be asked about his positions. Berkshire's got a ton of them. So let's take a look at the top five to set the scene for what this, what he might say this weekend. Of course, what he'll tell Becky Quick and the Squawk Gang on Monday. First and foremost is Apple. We know Buffett just bought another 75 million shares, 75 million shares, on top of his pre-existing position of 170 million shares as of the last filing. That is a truly monster holding. We know Buffett likes Apple because he thinks it produces the greatest consumer products ever. Once with an incredible 99% satisfaction rate, as Tim Cook told me when I spoke with him this week. He normally shies away from tech stocks. But to him, Apple's more like, a, let's say, a better version of, uh, I don't know, Procter Gamble Gillette, right? Better than a pure, a pure t- uh, tech play. It's got real loyalty. Buffett hasn't really addressed Apple's service revenue stream yet, but I think that's going to be the big theme for him. And it's the one that the tech analysts consistently deride as small potatoes versus handsets. Well, this quarter put an end to that nonsense. I bet Buffett talks about razors, the cell phones, and razor blades. All the services, including Apple Music, iCloud, Apple Pay, because the services are where the money is. His second largest position happens to belong to Wells Fargo, the bank. Here's one where Buffett's just uh, going to ride it out, betting that perhaps the worst is over. I expect he'll spend as little time as possible on Wells because it's so darn embarrassing. He's not allowed to buy anymore because no entity can own more than 10% of the bank. But he's got to be steamed about the endless penalties. Still, if Buffett says the government intervention is almost over, the stock of Wells Fargo will rally, and it will rally hard. It will catch up to the other banks. You can make a case that it almost is, as Wells reached a class action settlement this very day. 
on those fake account claims, paying $480 million to put it all behind them. Third, an oddity here, Kraft Heinz. I think the worst is clearly over for Kraft Heinz, which is why it rallied crazy today, up almost 5%. That was the fifth best performer in the S&P. While Buffett's still a big shareholder, he's leaving the board of directors, which you know what that does? Suggests to me that Kraft Heinz can be more hostile, not hostile, but more hostile in its next takeover bid, which they need so badly, something that Buffett forbade when he was on the board, and they tried to go after Unilever. Pinnacle Foods might be a natural target, but it's awfully high. Kellogg's, too. Uh, and the only reason I mention it is because it did have a not-that-bad quarter itself. Fourth, he's got a major position in Bank of America through the Warren's Berkshire picked up when the company was near death's door during the Great Recession. It's been a spectacular win, and Buffett loves CEO Brian Moynihan. I agree, and I think if the Fed raises rates three times this year and it doesn't kill the economy, this is one of the best banks to own. Finally, there's Coca-Cola. Well, this is a tough one. Buffett's shown an amazing amount of patience and willingness to just let the company do its thing. And I bet he says that James Quincy, the new CEO, is doing a great job expanding the beverage portfolio. A decent quarter. What's missing from here? What's missing from the top five? Ouch. None other than IBM, which I actually think is truly a shame. I think that IBM, with its emphasis on fast-growing strategic imperatives, which will probably be over 50% this year and of its whole business, and a 4.4% yield, I think it's a buy. It's too hard to say that Buffett called the bottom with his final sales. But as far as risk-reward, listen to me. IBM is one of the best stocks out there right now. Remember, these days, Uncle Warren doesn't mince words. He totally tells it like it is. That's why Apple and Wells Fargo are the two I care the most about. He's caused the stock of Apple to break out today, yes, to an all-time high. Will he do the same for Wells? Well, that's the only mystery of the weekend. Why don't we leave it at that? Stick with Craig. The earnings are relentless, but Kramer has burned the midnight oil, and he's ready to run the gauntlet. All week, Kramer sits down with some of the market's most influential C-suite players. Join Mad Money for must-see interviews you can't afford to miss. All right, congratulations to the people at Apple with an all-time high. And we have Warren Buffett to thank. Don't forget, he's going to be on Squawk Box exclusive next week. And what's he going to talk about? I think he's going to talk about the service stream, which is the stream that the analysts forgot to include when they were so darn downbeat all week and the week before. I think Apple can still go higher. I'd like to say there's always a bull market summer. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you Monday. CNBC's Workforce Executive Council is a premier group of C-suite human resources executives from leading companies across the country. It offers a members-only portal and chat, plus exclusive industry content, with access to breaking news calls and digital networking experiences. The network and resources HR leaders need now. Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com slash WEC.